Conflict is inevitable in any relationship. When I look over my life, there a lot of times I've been in conflict. No one wants to be miserable. The problem is that we don't have the right skills. She's looking at me like, why can't you do something about this? We'll show you how to create such safety in your relationship that intimacy and openness happens naturally. This is built to make good relationships even better. Even if you only apply one of them right away, you'll see a dramatic change in your relationship. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a delight to be here. And uh, believe it or not, I'm on another book tour. I haven't done one in a long time. In fact, I was pretty much finished with uh, book tours and uh, didn't really plan to write another book. And uh, along came my uh, older son and, and began to train me about uh, three years ago. And uh, so it's given me a whole new message, which I'll explain during the session. But um, book tours are very interesting. Last time, some, some parts of them can be embarrassing. Uh, last time I did a book tour, I was uh, flying all over the nation, and uh, at that time I was on television every day. And um, so I got to Portland, Oregon. Uh, my best friend from high school was there, had become a psychologist, and his father was in his 90s, and I loved him growing up uh, as a kid, and so I was gonna go visit him in this retirement home. And so uh, we went there, and uh, my friend said, well, let me go check and see if my dad can take visitors today. Just stay here in the waiting room, and so I did, and I was kind of tired anyway, so I got the paper out and started to read it, and then this woman, who was a resident at this retirement center, she had to be in her 90s, and so she strikes up this conversation with me, and I put the paper down, and I thought, wow, this is really amazing how alert people can be in their 90s, kind of encouraging, and so I engaged her in conversation, 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so. My friend comes out and says, my dad can't take visitors today, Gary, so let's, let's go ahead and go. So I stood up and, and shook her hand and said, it's been delightful talking to you. I said, by the way, do you know who I am? And she said, no, but if you go down to the front office, they'll tell you who you are. <laughs> so it's not all, you know, just uh, easy being on a book tour, but anyway, a lot of things have happened in my life uh, in the last uh, uh, three, four years. Uh, many of you may not know, but uh, two and a half years ago, I went turkey hunting for the first time in my life. And uh, when the turkey showed up, I shot in the general direction because I couldn't hold the gun anymore. I was having a major heart attack and I fell. When the turkey, I, I get, did get the turkey because it's in my office now, but uh, I fell at the same time. And when the guy, my friend, who was the guy, came back with the turkey and said, look, you got a trophy turkey. I was on the ground, you know, breathing and couldn't breathe. And he just thought I was real excited about turkey hunting. And uh, I said, I'm having a major heart attack. So anyway, he carried me out, I made it. And then four months later or so, uh, I was in Mexico in Cancun uh, and I was taking a break. And so I decided to, um, uh, um, you know, go swimming. And I ignored all the red flags on the beach and I, I wondered why there weren't a lot of people out there. And so uh, I actually went out and got sucked out and uh, tried to swim, couldn't make it, realized I was dead. My wife was reading a novel, you know, didn't know I was going. And, uh, and so this guy saves me, a lifeguard, which I hadn't seen. And most of the time he wasn't even there. You know what his name was? Jesus. 
Spanish for Jesus. Now I really believe Jesus saves, <laughs> for sure. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, which we'll talk about off and on, uh, my precious son, uh, Michael, who's also speaking uh, during this conference last November, a year ago almost now, uh, gave me one of his giant kidneys. So I guess the heart attack killed one of the kidneys, or killed my kidneys, and because uh, blood wasn't flowing for about an hour and a half, and the cardiologist still doesn't know why I'm alive, and, and so, but anyway, I thank him, a great gift of love, needless to say. And, and we'll talk more about that off and on. Anyway, uh, uh, it's just delightful to be here because the greatest changes that have come into my life over the last three years have really come through my own oldest son, Dr. Greg Smalley, and Dr. Bob Paul, his associate. Because these two men have a huge uh, uh, number of other counselors that they have trained and this is what they're doing today and have been doing for the last uh, seven or so years. And over 700 couples have come to their clinic in Branson, Missouri, and in Rome, Georgia. And incidentally, how many of you eat, have eaten at Chick-fil-A at least once this past year? Let me just see your hands, all right? Look at that. Uh, looks like everybody here. All right, so every time you eat one of those chicken sandwiches, you are helping marriages in America because their mission is to strengthen the marriages in this country and that a lot of the income that comes into that company goes into strengthening these ministries. So. so we're very grateful to them and Rome, Georgia is the place that they fund completely and that's one of the satellites that my son has a team there that uh, actually helps these couples. Now, think, just picture in your mind the dynamics of this and what happened to me when I first heard this. Three years ago, um, Greg told me these facts. These couples come to Branson five at a time and they either have divorce papers in their hand, the majority of them do, they hate each other. They can't live together anymore. Their family or kids or friends or church uh, or denomination, because uh, 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 major uh, Christian denominations send missionaries that are wanting to divorce. They can't be together anymore. They show up in Branson five at a time. They start on Monday. And my son and Dr. Bob Paul take them through six different specific areas over four days. Thursday afternoon, they're hugging and holding hands, and listen to this, over 90% of these couples stay together and start thriving. So, so what you're doing and saying, that's exactly what I said. I said, wow, because he did a longitudinal study, a two-year study, and said, Dad, it's actually 93%. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. This stuff you've been doing right under my nose? Uh, he has totally his own ministry, you know. And of course, I had trained him in what I know years ago. Then he went to school and learned all these other things. Then Dr. Bob Paul trained him on these things that, that are just, they're life-changing. So I, I say to him, what are you doing with these couples in four days to turn them around? 
And since then, I figured, I've realized that it doesn't just work with couples. It works with singles. It works with 11-year-olds. It works with teenagers. Any age adult, it doesn't just confine itself to couples. So that's one of the reasons I'm so pumped up about it, because I see a relationship revolution, a revival taking place in our country and around the world through this stuff that he has begun teaching me three years ago. So think of it. My own son starts mentoring me. And he said, well, the first thing you need to do, Dad, is go to one of these intensives. I went to two of them. He said, see what we're doing, and then, then I'll start training you on how to understand this so you can actually help me one of these days to actually do this stuff. I was thrilled. So I go to this four-day intensive. I see these couples show up. They're all strained out. They can't stand each other. They're sitting on opposite sides. By Thursday, they're sitting next to each other, holding hands and hugging. And I got to watch the breakthrough with each one of them as we went through the, the week. And I was amazed. And then I said to him, I see that these miracles are happening with, happening with these couples, but what are you actually doing? And he said, well, that's what we figure out every Friday as a team. We spend all day Friday analyzing what we're actually doing, Dad. And I think we have it down to these six or so different things. And so if you really want to learn them, I'll start teaching you. That's exactly what he did. Little by little, I'd go to his house, or we'd be on a trip somewhere, flying across the country somewhere, driving five hours somewhere, and I'd say, okay, now, let me take notes, okay? All right, you're saying that, you're, and he used to come up to me even in family meetings and, and in different kinds of meetings with our staff and, and, uh, and like uh, American Airlines counters and stuff like that. He'd say, Dad, why are you giving your power away to these people? And I used to say, giving my power away? Uh, what do you mean by that? So he would try to explain, I couldn't get it. I couldn't figure it out. And so I had, listen, if you don't understand all of this today, hey, join the group. Because it took me months to get this stuff in. And the moment I start getting it, here are some of the things that have happened to me. Just listen to this. My own stress level dropped almost to zero in a 24-hour period. How many of you love to have your stress down after today? <laughs> Guaranteed. If you understand this, that, that session is session five that I'm going to talk about how you get your stress level down as low as you want to be. Because here's the great thing about this stuff we're teaching you today. You are in charge of your level of stress. It doesn't have anything to do with the other things that, quote, are making us stressed now. But where do you see it? So it's just, you will leave today with a whole new sense of empowerment and knowing that you have a lot more control than you realize, or at least that I didn't realize for 61 years of my life. So, but listen to this one too. Uh, in chapter five of this new book, this is the one I'm charging around the country talking about, but in chapter five, the concept is how to create safety for other people in your presence. Now here's the reason. There are people like Dr. Alan Shore, that's S-C-H-O-R-E, go to Google and type up his name, A-L-L-A-N Shore, and just see the vast research that's taking place today around the world about the human brain. He's a neuroscientist and a neuropsychologist and several other things, but he's one of the leaders in the world. Here's what he is reporting. I've got all of his, I've got three or four of his books that are about that thick, and uh, I can understand about every, uh, maybe out of every 30 sentences, I can understand one of them. But it's enough of it 
to help me realize. Then he summarizes at the end of the chapter. I go, yes. So now I'm just going to the summary each time because uh, that's more of the layman's language. The other stuff is medically based. But listen to what he's talking about. The human brain is wired to be in relationship with other people, meaningful, emotional, and, and connected, satisfying. It's wired that way. So that when a baby, for example, just before a baby is born, just out of curiosity, and you might not be able to raise your hand because you haven't announced it to your spouse yet, but how many women are pregnant here uh, today? Okay, just out of curiosity, okay? I see hands here and there. Uh, all right, so now, here's the great thing about being pregnant today because when you hear this kind of information, it really helps us. Just before the birth, the brain in a baby is a major growth spurt. So it's already listening for sounds. And the research is showing that if you play Mozart music to a baby just before it's born and after it's born, when they get into school, they're better at math. Figure that one out. It does something to one part of the brain that helps the baby when they get older. To, 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 I, my mother probably never played any Mozart, you know, and uh, I never listened to it, so that was never my strong area. Anyway, so, but here's the great thing. When a baby is born, the hunger to connect emotionally and physically is almost stronger than the hunger to eat. And here's why. The brain is designed in one part of the brain to connect emotionally with humans, care, caregiver. And so if, there, if there's no one present there, like in some of these orphanages around the world, where there's too many of them in there, not enough nurses, and they don't get talked to, and they don't get touched for several days, sometimes weeks, their brain does not develop the way God intended it to. And think of this. The actual genetic changes take place at the cellular level in the brain in a negative direction if they're not connecting. The only way the human brain organizes and begins to develop the way God designed it is if it's in connection with a human and it's an emotional uh, uh, cuddly, uh, talking, uh, caretaking relationship. It doesn't happen. And so then when they get in junior high and high school and adults, they can't bond the same way. They're more aggressive. They're more violent. There's lots of problems socially when babies are not touched and talked to right from the very beginning. But this same brain part goes through our entire life with a hunger to be in relationship. And even as adults, our brain is goofed up in organization when we aren't connected to somebody. Are we designed for relationships or what? In fact, we're saying that life is relationships. Everything else is just details because everything we do is connected with relationships. Well, listen to this. Chapter five teaches us how to create safety for other people because when they're in our presence, if they feel safe, in other words, they don't feel like they're going to be condemned. They're not going to be judged. They're not going to be blamed. They feel valued and loved by us, and we're open. We're listening. If they feel safe, it's an automatic desire within them. They don't even understand it always. They're attracted to us. And like a magnet, they're pulled right to us. Teenagers, when they understand this, they can go to school, create. We have five ways you create safety in chapter five. They go to school, and kids will be attracted to them, and they, kids don't even really know why. But here's the key. If you don't have safety in a marriage, 
you won't have close, connection, satisfying relationship. It doesn't happen. But you and I are in charge of creating safety. I can do that. My wife can do that. You could do it as a couple. If you don't feel comfortable with each other today, and people that are watching this all over the world, if they don't feel comfortable, you can create safety and watch people relax in your presence and want to be your best friend. That'll happen. You'll have to get organized to organize the friends that want, people that want to be your friends is really what it is. So there's no reason for a person to be lonely. Usually if they're not attracted to us, they don't feel safe for any number of reasons. But we explain that in chapter five. So that's some of the things. Here, here's another one, chapter seven and eight. How would you like, let me ask the husbands first, just raise your hand. How would you like to win every disagreement you have with your wife? Just to see, okay? See them in? Raising their hand, okay? Now, a lot of men are not raising their hand because they think that's fantasy. You know, I will never, that'll never happen. Okay, so now, but it is really true when you see chapter seven and eight, because here's the reason. We show you, and my son taught me this, how to win an argument by helping your mate or your friend or your kids or your parents win at the exact same time. So when you dis, how many married somebody that has their own opinion about most things in life? Let's see your hands, okay? I don't see a lot of hands, guys. Just put those hands up because I know you've married somebody that has their own opinion about most things. Well, that's, that's a great thing because when you disagree, then you can actually help your mate win the argument at the same time that you win the argument. So at the end of the argument, you both win. That's why I'm so relaxed now when my wife disagrees with me because I know that I'm going to win. But I know she's going to win too. Otherwise, we don't, start, we don't stop the argument. We might take a break, you know, for a few hours or a few days. Uh, but we'll get back to it, and eventually we both win, and it works every time. It's beautiful how it works. The greatest changes, however, in my life are from chapters 4 and 6. Part of it is called the power of one, and part of it is called self-care. But watch how my life is so different today because of this. Here's a typical kind of thing that can happen in my home. My, I'm, 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 my wife, incidentally, is a kind of a detailed person and kind of a perfectionist. She loves the home to be neat all the time. You know, she's got the person that if at 10 o'clock at night, there's only the two of us now, if I kick my shoes off, I'm sitting in the chair watching the news with her, she'll go, <coughs> you know, I go, I used to say this, I don't anymore, but I used to say, uh, what? She'd say, are you going to pick those up when you go to bed tonight? And I used to say, why? There's just the two of us. And at one time she said, well, you never know. We may have to call 911 and they'd show up and, and, and uh, see what a cluttery house. And I thought, how many people love the house clean all the time? Okay, okay, then you understand my wife. And so I said, honey, listen, relax, because if it's guys that show up at 911, they won't notice this anyway. So, uh, so anyway, but this is the kind of wife I live with. So there are rules in my home that I, I'm just the opposite. I'm ADHD, dyslexic, you know, off the wall, no days the same as yesterday. You know, they're all different. I'm, uh, I, every idea I have, which is 100 a day, I think every one of them will work. And so I'm married to somebody who is realistic and says, no, 99 of those ideas probably won't work. And uh, it used to be discouraging, and now, I, now I'm, I revel in the fact that I have a wife and a, and a balancer in my life. But anyway, there are rules in my home. So uh, I was gonna go on a trip, and I, um, 
was going to go downstairs in the laundry room and, and put some clothes in and wash them for a trip and because and, I travel a lot. And uh, when I got down there, in the washer was all these really expensive uh, lingerie, fancy white sweater kinds of things of my wife's in the, in the uh, washer. So I know the rule is just take stuff out, put it on top of the dryer, just leave it, put my stuff in, start and leave, okay? I know I'm not supposed to mess with her clothes. I've heard that a few times, all right? So, because there's a special thing she does and stuff like that, okay. Anyway, so I start to leave the room and I say, you know what, I could do something very loving here, sensitive. I could actually fluff these clothes for five minutes, which is what she does, I've watched her do this, and then take them out and hang them up on all these fancy different kinds of things in the laundry room. And so I've seen that, and I've done it before, helped her, and I, I could do this. So ADHD man uh, puts everything in the dryer and starts it, and then I leave. Of course, within five minutes, I'm distracted, and uh, you know, two hours later, I mean, I can't even remember that I get distracted. Two hours later, I think, oh, and so I could run downstairs to, and I hope that, that uh, you know, everything's not ruined, and uh, I look inside, and, uh, all ruined. The lacy stuff is all ripped and wrapped around other things, you know, and everything is shrunk up to nothing. So I go, oh, she's gonna have a really, she's gonna have a very different opinion of this than me, okay? So, but I do know that uh, humor diffuses anger. So I, I stayed there for a few seconds trying to figure out something funny about this, and, and so, I, so I, I went upstairs and I found her and I said, hey, I said, uh, how's your morning going, you know? And she said, what, what are you, what, what's wrong? Because they can see their radar. And so I said, well, I have good news and bad news. Which one do you want? And she said, uh, what? I said, good news and bad news. She says, what did you do? I says, well, let me give you the bad news. And uh, I said, but let me ask you for forgive me ahead of time, okay? And she says, what? I said, well, I dried the clothes in the, oh no, my clothes. And then she starts to leave and I restrained her. I said, wait a minute, hey, I said, hold it, hold it, hold it, I have good news. And she turned and looked at me and she said, what could possibly be good about this? I said, our granddaughter Taylor has a whole new wardrobe. <laughs> and she never even, she never even, yeah. She never even cracked a smile. And uh, she was downstairs. Now, here was a very typical thing that we did many times. And I'm almost positive that some of you do this kind of thing from time to time. This was breaking a rule. My wife's core fear, which I'll talk about the third session, is not doing things right and feeling like a failure. She hates that. Well, this was not doing things right, and she feels like a failure that she's not been able to train me properly. And so, so she's down there grumbling, and I hear her, so I know that the battle's on. And uh, so I know she's gonna come up and she's gonna poke my core fear too. My core fear is being belittled and controlled. And I know I'm about to hear these, this conversation in moments and so, but this time she decides to do what the scripture says. James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and therefore slow to anger. So she doesn't come back upstairs. So I'm waiting for the battle to get going because it always does. And most of the time, I don't even remember this kind of stuff. I just know it happens, and I don't really understand it. And so she doesn't come up. And then I hear the garage door open. She's got around there somehow, and I hear her car leave. <laughs> so she's gone now. And so I'm 
imagining her stewing about this, and I think maybe she's picked it all up and put it in a bag, and, and she's going to go shopping and whatever. And uh, so about two hours later, I check the water out and see how I'm doing, if I'm in hot water or calm water or cool water or whatever. And so I call her on her cell phone. I say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> and she says, fine. And we all know what that means. And so uh, that's kind of lukish warm, okay? And so I say, uh, whoop. And so I say, uh, uh, hey, uh, is everything okay? No. And I said, I really feel bad about what I did today. I intended that to be a loving thing, and I just forgot, got distracted, and, and here ruined your clothes. And I said, will you forgive me? You know what she said? Yeah, I'll forgive you, because you've been thinking. And then I said, um, hey, uh, I'm not doing anything right now. Uh, why, don't, uh, why don't I join you somewhere in town? Because uh, Branson's got three outlet malls where I live. And I said, hey, we'll replace all this stuff. What do you say? And she said, no, I can't do that. And I said, why? It takes a long time to find each one of those items. Really? Because I'm thinking, I can replace the whole thing in a half hour. I mean, how hard is it to get a white sweater and a bunch of those fancy things, you know, and just go in and grab them off the shelf, you know, so, but uh, that isn't how it operates. You know what I almost did, though? As soon as I saw what I had done in this dryer, guess what the first thing that came to my mind? First thing, put it back in the washer. Start the cycle again, and she would have come down and said, Honey, there's something wrong with our washer. Really? <laughs> well, hey, let's replace that today. That would have been a lot less turmoil. But the key is this the key is that she didn't say anything. She waited and thought through some things. I had an opportunity to think through some things, and our response and emotions were so different instead of getting into each other's faces right off. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's how different I am today. Here's what I'm praying will spread all over our country and around the world. Because this is so life-changing, I have never heard anything so life-changing and changed me so fast in the last 40 years than this that I'm about to tell you. Here's where it comes from. And I encourage you, I'm only gonna give you a few verses each time I speak. I would encourage you to write these verses down and put them to memory as soon as you can because I don't get up in the morning without going over these verses and, and reviewing them. And I go to other verses that are related to them, but I do the basic ones every day. And I don't go to bed at night without rehearsing these things. And it is changing me every day. Now listen to these verses. Proverbs 23, seven says this. This is so life-changing. Whatever a man thinks, that's what he is. Whatever a woman thinks, that's what she is. We are what we think in every way. I bet I've read 10 books the last year. In every one of these books, biblical, right out of God's word, whatever a man thinks, so is he. You can drive into your driveway today and look at who you are and what you have, and I guarantee you that's what you've been thinking the last 10, 20, 30 years. We are what we think in every way. Galatians 6, 7. Whatever a man sows in his mind, 
in his heart, that's what he's going to reap. Whatever a woman sows, that's what she's going to reap. You can't just sow any thoughts you want in your mind and expect certain things to happen. Whatever you're sowing in your mind, whatever you're planting, that's what you're going to reap. That's the law of God. That's the truth of God. That has changed my life more than anything else. Because this next statement is based upon those two verses. It does not matter what happens to you in life from people or circumstances. It is what you think about after it happens to you that determines who you are. I'm going to say that one more time in different ways. A person can say whatever they want to you. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, your boss, your employees, your neighbor. It doesn't matter what they say to you. It doesn't matter what they do to you. What happens to you in the circumstances. I don't care what you make today financially. I don't care whether you live in location, location, location. There's some sections in this town and in every town that are gorgeous. I walked through one yesterday and it was gated. And uh, just seeing the gorgeous homes and the lawns and the landscape, you talk about location, location, location. These homes probably doubled the day they opened the gate. But you know what? That didn't have anything to do with your emotions. Doesn't have anything to do with your words. It doesn't have anything to do with your actions. Emotions, words, and actions. Doesn't, doesn't matter. It's what you think after things happen to you. If great things are happening to you, you got a lot of money, big cars, beautiful home, a lot of kids, swimming pool, that's great if you want it. But that's not what's making you happy. It's what you're thinking about that makes you happy. Your emotions. You know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? be very practical. You know what that means? See the index finger? Pointing. You're never going to be able to do this again as long as you live. After today. You'll never be able to point your finger at your mate or your kids or your friend and say, you are making me unhappy. You can't go down a freeway that's jammed and you're supposed to get somewhere on time and point to the cars, especially the one that's broken down Maybe it's an older car is black, backing up all the traffic. You say, you're messing up the whole day for all of us. Can't do that anymore. The weather in this particular part today, it's raining. Never again can you point outside and say, it's raining, it's been dreary all week and now I'm miserable. Thank you very much for the rainy, drizzly day. Because that's making me, you can't do that anymore. Those things don't make us happy or sad. It's what you and I think about it that affects our emotions. It's what our thoughts are that does that. So I don't do that anymore. I pull this finger in now. There's one pointing up to God, and I do this. In fact, we can all do this. Put your hand like this, okay? We all do this from time to time. Here's what you're going to do. Yay! Say that. Hey, hey. Way to go. Hey, hey. Way to go. That's the way to go. That's what I do every day, all day long now. Because I have four fingers pointing at the log in my eye. I had a lot of logs in my eye. 
I got a lot of weaknesses, problems. I'm not mature as I want to be. I'm not, I'm not finished yet. God's still working on me. And so I know that, but I now know I'm in charge of all my emotions, my words, and my actions every day. Has nothing to do with anything else, anybody else. I never try to change my wife now. And when things happen, like today already, several things have happened, I can make decisions, and some of those decisions can be wrong or right, but after it happens, it's what I continue to think about that determines my emotions all day long. Which is so wonderful to me now because I wake up every morning, I go to, I go to sleep every night realizing, Smalley, you are in charge of all of your own emotions, your words, and your actions. Do you see why chapter four and six changes these couples in four days? They finish Thursday with their finger out of their mate's face because they all show up with the same thing. If my mate would just change, I could finally be happy. If he would just get his act together, look at how irresponsible he is. In fact, he had an affair or she had an affair and she has now wrecked my life and our marriage and our whole family is down the tubes because of this. And they're the fault. They pull that finger in by Thursday and they say, oh, I thought your affair was causing my emotions. Oh, so it's what I think about that's causing my emotions? Whoa, I didn't realize that. So what I do now is I'm aware of it all day long. So here's the verses that I go through every day. I just gave you two of them. Listen to this one. Ephesians 3, 16 through 20. Listen to what this is. That's why you can use this hand saying like, whoa. Ephesians 3, 16 through 20. I am filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Christ, when he left this earth and died for us on the cross, said, when I leave, I'm going to send you my spirit, the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring you into all uh, wisdom. You're going to be doing great things in my name. Well, I say to God all day long, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. God, th Romans 8, the whole chapter says, don't even think about doing this unless you have the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't think about obeying any commandments or whatever else until you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And so I have my fingers all pointed at me and I say, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I get to take all of my thoughts, imaginations, my strongholds, my deep beliefs into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. I get to take all of my thoughts captive. That's me with the power of God. But I say to myself, well, what thoughts do I want to take captive? I mean, how, how do I want to think from now on? Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. There are, I call these the big eight. This, Paul says, if you and I think on these things, we will have the peace of God. Eight things. That's what I do all day long, every day. I run my thoughts through these things. Now, sometimes words come out of my mouth that I recognize right off aren't consistent with those eight things. And so I evaluate them later, repent, and go right on with life. But I control my thoughts. Like, for example, I used to give my thoughts, my power away, my power to control my emotions, I gave it away to American Airlines because I fly American Airlines more than anybody. But United gets in there, Northwest. I mean, they all get in there, okay? Here's what I used to do. I go to the counter, 
And I'd say, here's my ticket, you know, and they'd say, ooh, sorry, sir, that, that flight's been delayed or canceled or whatever else, or it's oversold. Sorry, we can't put you on here. There are no seats left. And I'd go, ooh, you know, and I'd get all worked up and stressed, and I'd say some things to this person which had nothing to do with this. And then I'd say, I want to see the supervisor. And then sometimes my kids would, my two sons would come over next to me and say, Dad, 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 you're getting a little worked up here. It's kind of embarrassing. And, so, and they'd say to me, whisper in my ear, hey, why don't you let us take over? Besides, Dad, she's probably read one of your books. And, um, and so I'd <laughs> be embarrassed. I'd say, oh, yeah, you're right. So I'd walk away, but it's too. Who did I blame my upset emotions on? American Airlines. Now I ask my wife how to respond. Because she does all of her travel arrangements. Ask her what I do. I can show up. Worst things happen. I'm not going to give them my power anymore. I'm not going to give my wife my power, my kids, my relatives, my friends, my barking, uh, I'm sorry to say barking neighbor, neighbor who has a barking dog. I'm not going to do that. The neighbor one time had this machine on top of their house that was needed oil. It was, you go out in your backyard and relax. And I used to give my power away to that. I don't do that anymore. Because I feel as I think. And I recognize that. I know that. I feel as I think. When I, uh, when I, uh, 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 right after my kidney operation, in fact, I uh, uh, was told by a nurse, a very perfectionistic nurse, for two hours, all this huge list, you know, pages of meds that I have to take. And she had all the side effects of these meds. And uh, she went over all of them. And when, I, when she finished after two hours, I thought, <laughs> Why did you bother to do a kidney transplant when I'm going to die anyway because all the side effects of these meds are going to kill me? So this is a waste of time. I was literally depressed. Why was I depressed? Because I was thinking, first of all, with an ADH person taking pills six times a day and thinking about all the consequences of each of those pills going into my body, I thought, I'm dead anyway. My wife says, oh, I'm so sorry, you know. And my daughter said, Dad, you can do it. Let's get busy and start figuring this out, you know. And, I, and the one thing she kept stressing, you cannot touch bird droppings. That's the most toxic to a kidney patient. And I hear, understand you have chickens. We had a few chickens at our home at that time. And uh, you can't go out there and step on it, you know, and then touch your shoes and stuff like that because you get any of this in your face, or your eyes, or hands, goes right through the pores, you're going to be dead. Basically, that's what I heard. So I can hardly walk. I'm, I'm out of the hospital finally. I'm at the, I'm at the downtown Marriott in Los Angeles because I had this done out at a, a section of UCL, USC. And so I'm walking like this. Finally, first time I'm walking outside, okay? I get about 30 feet out of the hotel, okay? And a giant Californian condor <laughs> drops on my head. Had to be. Huge boof, you know? And it starts running down my face. And so I start wiping it out like this. And it's black. And I go... Ooh, it's all over me. Now it's on my hands. It's drumming down here like this. I'm thinking, this is going to get in my eyes. It's soaking through my skin right now. And I, I can hardly move, so I go, I got to get back, okay? And so I'm, I'm dead before I get to my room. I realize that. And so there's a, there's a little fountain out in front of that place. And so I thought, well, I got to wash my hands. And so I start washing my hands. I bend over like this, you know. And so these little fish come up and start eating that stuff. And I go, oh. And then I looked at the pool, and it's... It's got green stuff in it. I go, ooh, I got green stuff. Okay, so I, I finally I go, oh, I gotta go. I get back to my room, I take two showers. 
which I can barely do anyway. And there's special things I'm supposed to put on before I take a shower because it's not supposed to get into the incision. And I realize this black stuff is running all over me. Well, that doesn't affect, that's not gonna control my emotions anymore. It's what I think about. And one of the great things about this particular day for you is that when we get to session five, not only am I filled with the Spirit of God and His unlimited power, great potential, wait till I tell you about how to respond to daily trials. Trials do not affect me like they used to. They can still hit me, just like you. My own weaknesses, I got a lot of weaknesses. I love weaknesses now. I love to be remind, I love to remind myself of weaknesses because now I know exactly how to think about trials and how to think about weaknesses where in a few hours or minutes, I am totally free and completely uh, more energized and encouraged than before the trial hit me. Just a matter of minutes sometimes, depending on how big the trial is, because some of the trials in the last three or four months have been huge trials. But within eight, eight to 10 hours, 12 hours, I'm right back to where I was. I love that new power that you can have. Can you only imagine if we get teenagers like my son, my grandson's 11 years old. I've been teaching him these things, teaching these verses. He's got the verses memorized now. He's even writing his own little book for the first time. Probably 30, 40 pages. It's, it's called How I Became an Adult at Age 10. <laughs> so he's been working on it a while, okay? And, but it's gonna happen. He told me by, uh, by the end of this month, it should be finished. First draft. And so here's, listen, this, this is the power of this. We're, we're on a walk. I'm real close to him. My daughter is his mother. We're walking in the streets of Branson, Missouri. His mom said, oh, oh, Michael, it was a weekend. Have you done your homework? Because you had this big test Monday. He hates his mother to remind him about homework. He, he thinks he's 25, uh, and so he responds that way. So he just went off on her, you know, comments, cute comments and so on. And so it hurt mom's feelings. I saw it. So she walks on up ahead, you know, she's not saying anything. And I said to him, I said, Michael, what were you thinking about your mom just before you said those things? Well, I was thinking she's pretty controlling and, um, you know, kind of a monster woman once in a while I think about, you know, she just seems to be so overpowering at times. It just irritates the snot out of me. You know, here's an 11, 10, 11 year old kid. I said, Michael, because Philippians chapter four, eight, nine, eight, eight and nine says those eight things. The first one, is it true what you're thinking? Second, is it honorable? Third, is it right? Four, is it pure? Is it beautiful? Is it adorable? Is it excellent? And is it worthy of praise? I went through those, because we were memorizing together. I said, what's really true about mom? He said, well, what's really true about mom is she's the greatest mom in the world. Then he listed several things of why she is. And I said, did that come out of your mouth? And he said, no, that wasn't what I, the truth is, this is a wonderful woman and mother. And so I said, well, what do you want to say? He says, mom, hold up. He says, this is an 11 year old kid. Mom, will you forgive me for what I said? Because it doesn't reflect even nearly anything about who you really are, a kid. And he said, you are the greatest mom in the world. She just melted right on the spot, put her arms around him. What, can you imagine teenagers doing this? Can you imagine teenagers thanking their parents for reminding of things? Or they start to go to school, they're wearing a certain thing, and before the teenager opens their mouth, they do James 119, 
and they actually stop and listen, and then before they speak, that's exactly what's happening to me. The amazing things are happening to me. And I'll, I'll give more of these when I come back uh, in, in my next two sessions, but this is the whole week, weekend. This is what Michael and I are talking about, but this is the essence that you and I are in charge. And do you know that, that over 75% of couples in our country wish they had even more satisfaction in their marry, marriage, wish they were just a little happier, wish the family was a little closer and a little more in harmony. People want this. Well, as you see this happen in your life and right here in your town, and it spreads through the surrounding towns and around the world, we can see a revival. And in fact, will the government solve this for us, what we have today in families and couples and singles fighting and arguing? Is the government going to do that? Another government program? No. Is the church going to do that? We're not seeing it today because there's even a higher divorce in some churches than are in the world. What we're going to see is when men and women really are aware that they have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them and use that power to control their own thoughts and use verses like Philippians 4, 8, and 9 to watch this happen. I'm going to get the privilege in the future to actually coach people through the internet on a daily basis. It's called the DNA Club. And I'm going to be able to have another thing where I coach churches, a whole church. It's called the DNA Network. And you can actually go to our website, the thednaofrelationship.com, and, and, and if you're interested in being coached to get this down, because it doesn't happen overnight. It didn't with me. Because there's lots of questions about how does it apply here? How does it apply there? But once you get it and you're on your own, you start flying by yourself, watch how your marriage increases in satisfaction. And the research shows it can go up to 72% increase in marital satisfaction. That's what my son discovered. So that's my challenge to you. Uh, and if you want to be a part of this relationship, revolution, revival that I'd love to see around the world, begin to ask God to burn this into your heart and join us as we see this really happen in the future. Thank you very much.